Good evening, everybody. Thank you for the front row. Say hello. Um, as Ryan said, my name's Louise, and um, Alan and I were trying to think of ways to introduce me to you because you, you'll notice there's an age difference between the average person in the room and me. Um, so we had two scenarios. We did a DNA coffee with someone who had been alive for as long as we have been married. So that was a bit of a, um, like a sense check. And then last night we were so excited to go and see Top Gun Maverick, okay? And so that ages us immediately because the first time I saw Top Gun, the first one, I was probably roughly your age, if not a little bit younger. And then Alan jokingly said to me, and you are showing your age because you are still looking at Tom Cruise and looking at his abs rather than those very nice younger actors who have also abs. But it's pretty impressive. <laughs> also abs. But let's just say that, did you know Tom Cruise is 59 and he still has a, a, enough of an upper body that he was prepared to do a little touch rugby scene with no shirt on, which is pretty impressive. But anyway, the fact that I even think that that's impressive does age me. So anyway, that's me. I'm Louise. Hi. If I haven't met you, nice to meet you. Um, and I'm abs-loving abs Louise. That's why I'm married to Alan. Thanks for setting me up for that. Okay. Sure. Right. Tonight, we are continuing with our series through James, and I'm always absolutely delighted to be coming to share God's Word with you. That's what we're going to do tonight. Um, and thank you again to the elders for this invitation to come and be here and to share God's word. It's always such a privilege. And a special welcome to you if this is your first time here at Common Ground. We love it when people pop in to visit and to check us out. And so we're in this book of James, and maybe you have noticed our design. Can you go back a couple of slides, please? So you will see... Back. Just roll with it. Okay, so on the stage, actually, you can see that poster and you can see our design. That's the tree, the wisdom tree, because if you haven't picked it up yet, James is a book about wisdom. And so our design team have put this together, and you'll notice that each branch, that represents each mini-series, and each fruit represents each talk. And so over the weeks, you may have noticed that the fruit has been colored in as we've kind of handled each talk, and each fruit even has an icon. I mean, did you get this? And the icon represents the theme or the topic that we've explored. So that's how many fruits we've covered so far. Maybe some you haven't been there. And the highlighted one is the icon for this evening's talk, and hopefully by the end you'll understand why that's been chosen. Today we get to the section of James, James chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 21 to 25. But I'm going to do a little bit of an introduction before we get there. So I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing most of us are students. Most of us, look at me, including myself in that. Most of you are students, maybe some stu uh, scholars here. And so you will know we are in exam season, yes? Um, I don't know if anyone's finished yet. I chatted to someone today who was, is finishing tomorrow and you can see the potential lightness that is going to come. We are in the middle of it. We have a grade 9 and a grade 7 and we have seven days to go, and the countdown has started because it does add a certain energy to the house, should I say, and it can be quite stressful, and you know what studying involves, where you are trying to memorize and remember and do past papers and quizzes and like really get yourself skilled up, and I want you to keep that analogy in mind tonight. Imagine that you are writing an exam, and for some of you, that's really easy to imagine, but I want you to to picture that this is an open book exam. And so you're gonna be allowed to take your textbook in with you. And you can even underline in your textbook, you can highlight as many things as you want, you can stick in as many like bookmarks or post-it notes so that you can find the sections that you need. You can make it as user-friendly as you want. And now I want you to imagine that on the morning of the exam, you go to your desk and you intentionally pick up a different book another book that's got nothing to do with the subject you're about to write. I mean, that's crazy. Like, you wouldn't do that because you know that you're not going to find the answers that you need and the answers that you're looking for by looking in the wrong book. And I want to keep that analogy in our minds as we think tonight about this book, this wisdom textbook in a sense that we've been given. And it is a user-friendly guide. It's got everything we need for the answers, the questions, the challenges that life throws our way. 
And tonight, we're going to be exploring how we unpack, how we get the most out of this textbook as we come to it. So we can allow it to speak into our lives and to shape us or not, because sometimes we don't. So my message tonight is called Hearing That Leads to Action, and we're going to follow this flow. There are five points. We're going to start with a little bit of a background as an introduction, today's big idea, the value of God's Word, and then we're going to look at the wrong way and the right way to respond to that Word, and then land in some practical tips. So let's dive straight into kind of the introduction. I love it when we work through a book of the Bible, because what do we get to do? We get to dive down a little bit into some history and context and it's always nice to like have a little bit of information about the author, about the context, which, which is just like interesting. So did you know that in Hebrew, James's name would have been pronounced Yaakov, which we, the name Jacob comes from that. And so in a sense, we are reading the, the letter written by Jacob. But as those Bible translations moved from Hebrew, then to Greek, then to Latin, then to French, and then to English, so the name changes. And so now we read the letter of James. Many historians also believe that this letter was written about AD 45 to 48, which means that it's likely that it's the first New Testament book that was written. And a little anecdote about James. In early church history, they say that James was such a man of prayer that his knees got these large, thick calluses on them, and they looked like the knees of a camel. And I was thinking, wow, imagine praying so much that your body shape actually changes. That's pretty impressive. And we can trust James because he believes what he's writing about, so much so that he ends up dying for what he believes. And so we are told that James is martyred for his faith in Jerusalem. He gets thrown off the temple from the highest point, falls to the ground, but that doesn't kill him. And these attackers come and beat him to death. And even while that's happening, he's praying for them. So this is a man who is going to die for what he believes in. And so his words carry some weight for us this evening. James is a leader in the early Jerusalem church, and he is known as a pillar. That's how Paul describes him in the letter to um, the Galatians. And so he's known for his wisdom. And so we've seen that theme throughout what we've been looking um, in this opening chapter, this theme of wisdom. He's wanting these believers, he's wanting us to see there is wisdom available to us as we go through life, as we face trials, as we go through suffering. There's wisdom from above that's accessible. And so he writes about this wisdom. You'll see that theme coming through. It's the wisdom from above, but he writes in this beautifully like down-to-earth way, which is so easy for us to understand. And so as we come to today's section of chapter one, we're gonna be looking at where does the wisdom come from? This wisdom textbook, this incredible book. And James is gonna coach us on how we apply it to our lives, how we respond and work with the word of God. So I'm going to invite Ashley up. She's going to come and read us our scripture. I'm just going to pray for us as she comes up, and then she'll read for us. So Lord, we do just want to pray that as we open your word now, as we listen to it, as we unpack it, we want to be open to you, Lord, and what it is you want to teach us tonight. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to us, that you'd coach us, shape us as we unpack your word. Thank you for the gift that it is to us. Amen. Thanks, Ash. Good evening, everybody. Um, it is James 1, 21 to 25. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he look, was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ash. Right, so let's jump into what today's big idea is. Because Paul, uh, Paul, James likes to keep it really simple and clear. And in a sense, the big idea is captured in verse 25, where he says, be no hearer who forgets. Don't just be a listener who forgets, but a doer who acts. Be a doer who acts. And in a sense, we could take these verses and sum it up like this. We've got this idea of there's input, this And then, so in this case, it's the word of God. There's a response to that input, and that leads 
to a result. And then James gives us these two ways of responding. So the first way is the wrong way. He says, what do you do with the input? You hear it. What is your response? You forget it. And so what is the result? There is folly or deception. And then he gives us the right way. He says the right way to deal with that input is to look into it. Here comes the slide, yes. And then your response is then to obey or act on what you have seen in Scripture. And what is the result? The result is blessing. So those are the ideas we're going to unpack tonight. And um, I want to start with this idea of input. Because we are a content-crazy culture. There is a lot of content that we consume each and every day. If you think about what you read, what you watch, what you listen to. We are a word-saturated world, and so there's a lot, and there's a lot to distract us, and there's a lot that competes for our time and attention. And so I want to start by just sharing a few statistics with you, and many of them are about online behavior, and I know not everyone has a phone, not everyone has access to data, so it's not all-inclusive, but I do think they give us a helpful snapshot into, um, into our kind of nation. But I'm going to start with an American stat. Coming from a couple of years ago, this guy wrote this. Counting web page visits, email, blogs, and other media, approximately 500,000 words pass daily in front of the average American's eyes. Tolstoy's War and Peace is only 460,000 words. Now, if you, like me, haven't read <laughs> Tolstoy's War and Peace, here it is. So here is the amount of content that is coming across our path every day. That's a lot, eh? And that, this is from a few years ago, so it's probably even more now. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home. And these stats come from an article written this year on the IRL Business website commenting on South African internet usage. So there's the first stat that South Africa is the country spending the world's fourth highest time online. The countries ahead of us, Philippines, Brazil, Colombia. The average person is spending 10 hours, six minutes a day browsing on the internet, which means 154 days of your year on the internet. And the average person spends just under 53,000 minutes scrolling through social media each year, which is about 37 days a year. And then if we average that out, that's about two and a half hours every day scrolling social media. And I just want to pause on that. Can we just go back? Because I just want to pause on that stat alone. Just think of those minutes, two and a half hours a day on social media. If we just think of the trajectory of that, if we think about some of the stuff that's produced in us when we are on social media, often there's that sense of comparison or FOMO or discontentment and regret. We get that feeling like we're just not enough. And so is it two and a half hours just feeding those voices in our lives? Imagine what that would produce. Okay, what about Netflix? So on average, people in South Africa watch Netflix for 3.2 hours a day. And then I love this quote, South Africans tend to hunker down to a series and they will spend the whole day watching it. Anyone relate to that? <laughs> yes. What about gaming? Here's some stats. Roughly 71% of South African adults are playing mobile games. And they are South African mobile gamers spend more than four hours per day on their devices. There's a little breakdown of female male and also a breakdown of the ages of those people gaming. I didn't say anything, but not, lots of murmuring there. Okay. So these are national statistics. And what I would suggest you do is think of your own audit. If you were to create your own statistics, what would they look like? What content are you consuming? Even this week, as you go about this week, just be aware. What is coming across my path? What are the things that I'm being exposed to? And if you do have a smartphone, can I suggest that you use that Screen Time app as a great tool to help you assess what you are spending your time on? And maybe you even want to take some pictures like I did here. Let's go back. So there it is. It's a bit vulnerable to put these statistics up here because you're going to get insight into me. And this is what I spend my time with. I'm, is, is it blacked out on purpose? It's covering my shame here. Um, <laughs> this is how I spend my time. This is like what my priorities are. Go to the next one and you'll see. 25 hours in the week. I checked today because my screen time comes on a Sunday and this week it's up. So anyway, to go to the next slide where you'll see what I spend my time on. Okay, so WhatsApp dominating there. I use it for work as well. 
I was very relieved that my Lectio and uh, Bible apps are above the New York Times. We said, word beats the wordle every day, which is great. But the wordle words were really easy that week. Unlike this week, if you're a wordle fan, they were really tricky, the bayou and the uh, whatever. So there it is. And so can I suggest, what about you do this? And you send it to someone you trust or your life group leader or someone in your life group and go, what are you seeing? What are you noticing about the content that I'm consuming? Let, okay, we can take that slide off now. Thanks. <laughs> Butler's Pizza's still there. Yes, yes. And when we go home, what do we do on the night I preach? That is the reward, Butler's Pizza. So it'll be there again next week. So what I was challenged about is, so I knew that I was going to share those stats. Well, it, the idea came to me in the middle of my prep. And, and I looked at it first before I was like, am I going to share this? Um, and like, would your behavior change if you knew that someone was going to open your screen time app and have a look at what you consumed? Anyway, the, this is just to highlight that we consume a lot. We consume a lot. Our devices bring a lot of content across our path. And as we explore kind of the idea of the input that we're exposed to, the content we consume, I just want to flag three things. Firstly, a lot of what we consume is rubbish. <laughs> So remember the analogy, the open book exam. A lot of the time we're looking at the wrong textbooks. We're looking in all the wrong places, trying to find answers, trying to find um, yeah, like wisdom or solutions to life. But we're looking at rubbish. And we don't necessarily curate our content. So we consume rubbish. The most viewed YouTube video of all time, Baby Shark. I mean, what a waste of time is that? Anyway. But you can see, it's not only is it distracting and like timeless and like time-wasting, meaningless stuff, but a lot of the time, the content isn't just rubbish, it's actually false. It's actually deceptive, it's lies. And a couple of weeks ago, Ryan challenged us, are we listening to the father of lies, or are we listening to the father of lights? And even that's just a really helpful grid as we think about the content we consume. Secondly, the other thing that can happen is because there is so ama much amazing content out there, we start to supplement the Word of God with other things, and they can even be good things. So podcasts or articles or great books, and maybe you follow blogs, etc. And so what you start to do is you go, oh, did you listen to this great podcast? Let me send you the link, and here's this great book. And then we spend an hour listening to the podcast, five minutes reading the Bible. These things subtly can start to replace God's word in our lives. And even if they're really good, it's just a caution. We seek God's wisdom everywhere except the word. We seek God's wisdom everywhere except the word. <coughs> and then the third flag is that we can start to see God's word as just another interesting source of content, not the true source, the authoritative source. And Mervyn Eloff, who's a local Cape Town pastor, he puts it like this. Nothing would please the enemy of our souls more than if we fell prey to the sin either of hearing the word of God as a mere academic exercise without it changing our lives or seeking that change by some other means apart from or in addition to the word. I want to read an extract from our statement of belief. This is what we as a church community believe about the Bible. We believe the Bible, every verse in all 66 books, originated with God, though it was written by chosen authors. It speaks with the authority of God while at the same time reflecting the background styles and vocabularies of these human authors. In its original manuscripts, it is infallible and inerrant. It is the full and final authority on all matters of faith and practice. No other writing is similarly inspired by God nor comes close to having its life-transforming potential. Therefore, it is to be thoughtfully and diligently, happily and prayerfully read and taught, memorized and meditated upon, understood and applied, believed and obeyed. Because if we believe that, then that shapes how we approach, how we read and how we respond to God's word. Because often our approach to God's word is not so much a discipline issue or a practice issue, it's a faith issue. So do we believe that it is the true word of God? 
Do we believe that it is infallible and inerrant? That means it is incapable of making mistakes. It's incapable of being wrong. Do we believe that it's still relevant and applicable today? 5th of June, 2022. And I think for some of you, this is actually like, this is what you need to settle. You need to settle this first before you listen to anything else that I say. Do you believe that the word of God is truth? And if you don't, to do some homework around it. Because if it is true, it changes everything. So I'm just to encourage you, if, if you aren't settled on that, do some work. Figure out, do I believe this or not? Because it's going to make a massive difference to how you receive and respond to the word of God. And this isn't a popular opinion at all. This isn't a popular viewpoint because our culture is pluralistic. Our culture is relativistic. Our culture says put self first. And so the culture around us would say, no, you pick and choose. You pick and choose what you want to read, what you want to listen to, because you know best and you have the right to choose your path of freedom. So go find the thing that's going to bring you your freedom. And so that same culture also makes it increasingly difficult to present one message as truth, because the culture around us says acceptance, inclusion, tolerance, those are of higher value than truth. And so we see our culture has become intolerant of absolutes, and it's become impatient with the, the claims of the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. But James <laughs> gives us a different view, and he says no. Let's treat God's word with the respect that it deserves because it is true and it is authoritative and it is judgment over it, going, oh, I like that part or I'll accept that part or that makes sense, I'll take that. No, we, we come to the word of God and we position ourselves under it in humility and we're gonna, we're gonna submit to the word of God in our lives. We acknowledge that it is uniquely positioned to give us truth and wisdom. So let's move to part three, which is the value of God's word. And in this opening chapter, this is a theme James has been touching on like throughout the opening chapter. And so I want to just tug on that thread a little bit. So in verse 18, James wrote, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And the NIV puts it like this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And James reminded us that the spiritual life that we enjoy, this new birth that we've been given, well, it comes to us as a result of believing that word of truth. And that word of truth is the message of Jesus. So we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe that he lived, that he died, that he was resurrected. And just responding to that word of truth, that is what saves us. That is what gives us the new birth. That's how powerful the word is. And then last week, Carl reminded us that we should be quick to hear. And it isn't just an axiom for human relationships. No, it applies to the word of God as well, that we should be those who are quick to listen to the word of God. That when we come and we read the word of God, every time we open the Bible, it matters that first we listen, we hear. And then in verse 21, James gives us this very powerful contrast. And you'll notice in James's style, that's what he does. He often contrasts things against each other. And in this contrast, the first thing he says is, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Remember my earlier points about like the content we can sometimes consume. To be honest, I think this could be the descriptor for some of it. It is filthiness. <laughs> It is rampant wickedness. And what does James say? He says, no, put that away. Put it away. I'm guessing that 100% of us could probably feel challenged about something we've consumed, some content, whether it was a book we read or a movie we watched, a series we watched, maybe a website we visited, and actually it did not produce like flourishing in our soul no, it was a soul-destroying experience, and it was filthiness, and it was wickedness. And then James gives us the contrast. He says, no, receive with meekness the implanted word. What does it do? Which is able to save your souls. And so he says, this word has been planted in us, and that's not like a passive thing, oh, now we just let it grow because it's there. No, we, first we receive it. That's an active thing. It's a decisive, conscious, deliberate thing. 
And how do we receive it? We receive it with meekness, which is a word for humility. There's an openness. There's a receptiveness. So this word that's planted in us, we receive it. We open to it. We open to being challenged and changed by the work of the word in our lives. And there are echoes of this in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 31, there's a prophecy which describes the new covenant that God promises. It says this, This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Because over and over again in the Old Testament, what we see is the Israelites trying to obey the laws that God has given them. But no matter how hard they try, they just can't get it right. On their own, they are not capable of obeying those laws. And so we see, we can't fulfill them on our own. There has to be this new work, an interior work. We have to be given a new heart. And that is what is going to enable us to respond to God's work in obedience. And we read about it again in Ezekiel 36. It's another prophetic promise. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And so James, he's talking about the implanted word. It's a fulfillment of these promises. The word of God planted in us. It's a permanent kind of part of us as a believer. But we're also given the spirit planted in us. And we've talked about that a little bit tonight. We've celebrated that. Today is Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate the gift of the spirit poured out on the church, given to us as a gift. And that's what he says. I will put my spirit in you. And that is what will move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. And so as we let the Spirit work, as we give Him more and more access in our lives, that's how we changed. That's how we overflow in obedience to God, because the Spirit is at work, and we become more and more like Christ. And then we get to the verses from today, where James encourages us to be doers of the Word, and he describes the Word as the perfect law, the law of liberty. And he's challenging how we respond to the word. And so let's get now to part four, where we look at the wrong way and the right way. So the wrong way was to hear the word of God, but to forget what it says, and that leads to folly or deception. So verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And so James loves to use kind of everyday imagery. Here it is, it's the mirror, okay? We can all relate to this. And he says how we approach the word is how we approach a mirror. And it's not the look that we take into the mirror, but the action we take as a result of what we see. So if you think about why you use a mirror, it's because it gives you an accurate reflection of yourself. And so it shows you if there's a problem. Before you leave the house, you look in the mirror. Is like my hair okay? My clothes okay? Is there a spot, you know? You're going to check. And then based on what you see, you're going to act, okay? We've all had that moment where we go to the bathroom and we see, oh, there's something stuck between our teeth, okay? What do we do? We take it out, okay? We don't just leave it there and go, oh, well. And then we also moan about the people that we were with for the last hour that didn't tell us that there was something stuck in our teeth, okay? Anyway, so this, this is how James is defining foolishness. Because the whole time what he does is he, he's contrasting. Here's wisdom, here's foolishness. And here he gives us this definition of foolishness, folly, a lack of wisdom, a lack of good sense. He says, the listener's taking the time to look into the mirror, but there's no action as a result. And the hearer forgets what he sees. And when I, I just could not help but think of the guys in the gym, okay? So work with this analogy a little bit. So we joined the gym last year, and you go to the gym, those of you who are gymmers, and they're in the weight section, always the weight section, are those guys, okay? Now, they are very well-defined. They often wear vests, eh? so you can see it, okay? And they look intently into that mirror. Have you ever seen it? And it's a bit of a flex and a bit of a whatever. And, they can, and I'm often thinking... Can they see? Can they see 
that that top half, yes, it's beautiful, it's rippling, it's well-defined, but do they notice the calf muscles, okay? Do they notice? Alan tells me it's got a term, it's called chicken legs, okay? You learn something new every day. That the calf muscles don't match, the lower half of the body is not the same. Uh, do you know? I mean, I'm not looking at anyone, just take it. And then I think, okay, surely now he's seen it. He's seen it, and now when he comes to the gym tomorrow, what is he gonna do? Calf muscles, yes? No, he comes to the gym tomorrow, what does he do? Arms. It's like, look in the mirror and act based on what you see. And that's what James is saying to us. Like, don't just walk away and forget what you've seen. Now, that image is going to stick with you the whole week. I know that. So when we read God's word, that's what happens. This mirror is held up to us, and we get this accurate reflection. Sam Albury, in his commentary, says this. Whenever you read your Bible, one of the things that happens is that it shows you you. And if you're not regularly reading things in the Bible that challenge you to either start or stop doing things, then you are not reading your Bible. Because Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is alive, it's active, it's sharp, it penetrates, it cuts. <laughs> I love that, say, that part of the verse that says it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'm sure you've all had that moment. Let me tell you my moments, my most recent moment. There's so many. Okay, so a couple of Fridays ago, I was working, and the afternoon finished, and I, I was actually working on the sermon, ironically, and I closed my computer, and I got up to go about the rest of my day, and I was just a real grump. And I was moaning at the kids, and I was like finding fault with everything, and I really, I was irritable, I was irritating, it, it was, wasn't pleasant at all. And I wish I could say that in the moment I felt like convicted, but I wasn't at all. Um, <laughs> got a long way to go. And then the next day I was driving in the car and I happened to be listening to my devotional reading. And it's, it was in Luke chapter 10, the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus comes to their house. Maybe you know the story. And in this um, scripture, Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. And then the commentator went on to say this. Martha seems restless irritable, on edge. She is distracted, but she just needs to stop and focus on the one thing, the better thing. And there was my mirror, because I had been distracted and irritable and on edge. And, and the, the thing with the mirror is that it, 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 con it confronts you, so you see yourself as you are, there's truth, but there's also incredible grace in that moment. That's the beautiful thing about God's mirror. So it wasn't to heap condemnation on me, it wasn't like, oh, despondent, you know, I'm the worst person ever. No, it was to bring that into the light so that I can confess and then forgiveness can flow. And I've really been struck by this, this mirror image. And, and I just want to park, we'll spend a little bit of time here because I really feel like some of us are not looking in mirrors that are truthful. And the beautiful thing about God's word is that it is truthful. I was thinking of um, the ladies will relate to this. So sometimes you go into a changing room, like a fitting room in a shop, and, and somehow they've got it right. Eh? The lighting is just nice, and you put on the thing, and you don't mind changing because you, you look amazing in this mirror, okay? And then you've all been in that one where they don't get it right, and it's like that strong lighting overhead, and all the floors are there, you know? Those are, like, the mirror is accurate when we look at God's mirror, I was also reminded of the funfair mirror, where you look in the one mirror and you look really tall and skinny, and you're like, oh, I'm amazing. This mirror is showing me exactly what I want to see. And then you look in the next mirror and you're like tiny and you're this wide, and it's, it's distorted you. And some of us are looking in mirrors that are distorting. Some of us are looking in mirrors that are telling us what we want to hear, but they are not the truth. And I just feel like God wants to say to you tonight, look in the mirror of my word. I will show you what you are like. And I love you. I love you, but I love you too much to just leave you like that. And so there is grace, and there is forward momentum, and the Spirit has got some work to do. But tonight, he just wants to say, stop looking in those other mirrors. Okay, so James brings us to the contrast of the right way to look into to respond in obedience, acting on things so that blessing will flow. 
but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, be no hero who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what is this person doing? They are looking into, that verb means to look steadily, intently, to bend over and investigate carefully. That's that verb. It's not just to listen to it superficially, to read it superficially and walk away. No, it's to look into it. And that, that, that person perseveres in that looking. It's not just a one-off thing. No, they are doing it continually. They are doing it ongoingly. What are they looking into? They're looking into the perfect law. The perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, the law of liberty, that sounds like a bit of an oxymoron. It seems contradictory. Like, don't, how can you have a law of liberty? Don't laws limit liberty? But this is what James is exploring here, this promise that this isn't a burdensome law. It actually brings freedom, and it brings blessing. Our sinful nature, the culture around us would say, choose your own path of blessing, your own path to freedom. You have the right to do that. You know best, you know? But James is saying, no, the right path, the wisdom path, is obedience to God's word. That's the path of wisdom. And so he's got this idea of the freedom of obedience, which seems so countercultural, but he's saying, if you obey, you will feel free, you will be free, which seems absurd, and it's mainly because we've kind of misunderstood what freedom really is. Western society tends to think of freedom purely in terms of the absence of restriction. So if we remove all constraints, then we end up with freedom. And if we put limits or restrictions or boundaries on things, then actually we're restricting freedom. But the Bible shows us that freedom isn't the absence of any and every constraint. No, it's the presence of the right kind of constraint. And so think of the analogy of taking a fish out of water, okay? And we go, I'm taking the fish out of water to give the fish more freedom, okay? I'm removing that constraint, but the fish is designed to live in water. And so although you're removing a constraint, it is a complete misunderstanding of what freedom for a fish is. And Sam Albury writes it so well when he says this, our own true freedom is only found when we are in the environment in which we were designed to flourish. And that is obedience to God's word. As we live by God's word, we experience true life. Only then can we be said to be properly free. God made us. And as we follow his word and live in his ways, our lives end up going along the grain of how he has designed us to live. His word corresponds exactly to our nature. And so we can follow God's commands precisely because they are God's. And the difference between his commands and anybody else is that his are given purely out of love for us and a desire for us to flourish and prosper. And so James is straightforward because he says, well, if you obey God's word, yes, there's liberty, there's freedom, but there's also blessing. And by blessing, I'm not talking about reward. It's not like, okay, obey, and then you will get a reward. It's not like that's the carrot that's incentivizing us to obey. No, the blessing is that as we obey, as we choose that right path, the path of wisdom, so we live in the blessing. We feel like that fish that's been put back in the water. There's life, there's flourishing, there's an ease there because we are living as we were designed to live. And so we experience blessing. So I want to land by this final section. We're going to focus on some practical tips. So how do we do this? And I'm going to give you six. There's many, many more. There's a great topic of discussion in your life groups to talk about how you like, get into the Word of God. But I'm hoping that there's something here that um, will inspire you. So the first thing is to have a plan. To have a plan. Have a curriculum for your study of God's Word. We have a Netflix plan. You know, we have the plan of what we are watching. Then we have the list on our phone of all the recommendations. Today, I was um, standing next to two girls, and I was listening to their conversation. We were at the gym, and they were on the treadmills here. It sounds like we go to the gym a lot, but we don't. Anyway, um, and they were talking, and they were going, oh, have you watched this on Netflix? And oh, no, it's on my list, okay? And she had her list of recommendations, and they were giving each other tips. I mean, we all do that. But do I have the same like, plan for how I'm going to get through God's Word? 
what I'm reading now, what I'm reading next? Have I got a reading plan that's going to take me through the whole of God's Word, whether that takes me a year or five years? Or do I just like go back to my favorite sections and just reread them over and over again? Like for some of us, there's whole sections of this wisdom textbook that we have never read. And that should challenge us. Sometimes we're so haphazard, we're so sporadic and unintentional, and then we wonder why we don't know the wisdom of God. It's because we haven't opened the word of God. So let's have a plan for getting through the word of God. The second thing is to do it daily. You know, we see in the Bible this concept of daily manner. It's not the binge-watching Netflix day where you cram it all in. It's not that cram session for the exam where you hope, okay, well, I just study really hard for three hours, I'm going to get it. No, it's daily manner, daily provision. And I've been challenged about this many times in my life. Even at the beginning of this year, we were away on a staff time, and we had this solitude time, and part of it was, like, listen. Listen, is there anything you feel like God wants to say to you? And one of the whispers I felt from him was this regularly open the tap to drink. Regularly open the tap to drink. Because the tap, the living water, it's right there. And when I drink it, I feel replenished. I feel like that flourishing. It's right there. And I get to choose how often and when I go and open the tap. And I just felt God say, regularly open this tap so that you can drink it. And our habits, our rhythms make that easier or harder. So let's try and develop healthy rhythms Is it a specific time of day? Is it a specific place? Is it a specific posture? I cannot read God's word lying down in bed. I will fall asleep, okay? So I've learned that, so I don't do that. I have to be sitting up. And whatever your devotional tool is, find one. There's lots. Could be written, it could be audio, it could be whatever. Find the one that works for you. And if the first one doesn't work, try the next one and try the next, but figure it out. Find out something that's gonna help you in this daily practice. The third thing is to keep a record, to write stuff down, to keep a journal of some kind, whatever it looks like. It could be digital. I found paper and pen much less distracting. And just write down, is it a key word? Is it a phrase? Is it a scripture, part of a scripture? Is it a prayer request or an answer to prayer? Just something that helps you kind of track what you feel God is saying, what you're learning about God. And I find that's really helpful to do because sometimes you go, oh, God never says anything. No, no, go read the journal. (laughs) And then you get these reminders. I also, like, um, at the end of a term, will go and reread what I've written. Sometimes that takes me quick because I've (laughs) written very little. But almost to see, like, what are the threads? Is there anything I feel like God's really wanting to highlight here as a theme? So keep a record. And then memorize, memorize scripture. So we see how in the desert, when Satan came to Jesus to tempt him and to like, uh, throw things at him, Jesus had scripture in his mind that he could throw back, and he knew it. And sometimes we actually just need that rote learning. So this week, I said our kids are writing exams. My son, Ryan, was learning how to count to 10 in Isikosa. And so here he was with a song that they'd been taught at school, and he was singing it over and over and over over again. It was really irritating, but like he got it because it was repetition. And so I think sometimes that can help us just to repeat God's word. We're in this book of James. It's a really short book. I bought this as a prop. So the preaching team all got this. This is James. It fits on one A3 paper. Like it's not a long book. It's really accessible. What about having it on repeat on your audio? whether you're driving or while you're exercising, maybe every morning while you're getting dressed, you just have it on repeat and you're listening to it over and over again because that repetition helps you remember it. Or maybe there's specific scriptures that you feel God's wanting to highlight for you. Write them out, put them up on the toilet, on the fridge, on the mirror, whatever, so you can see it and every time you see it, recite it and you will learn. It's a great way to get scripture into you. Okay, two more. Ask questions of Scripture, and let Scripture ask questions of you. Like when you come to Scripture, remember, we want to submit to it. We want to submit ourselves and come under it, not over it. And so carefully, prayerfully ask questions of the text. What is the author trying to say here? What is the intention of this part of Scripture? What does this say to me and my attitude or my behaviors? What is this trying to teach me about God or about myself? What is this passage calling me to do? 
just ask a few simple questions to like really get to what the scripture's saying. And then ask the spirit to help you. Because we've been given the spirit as this guide, this counselor, this teacher. And so even as we come to the word of God, we take a moment and just like invite the spirit. Won't you speak to me? Won't you open my eyes? Won't you reveal things to me? Because our Bible reading is so often a dialogue. It's not just like this duty that we get through. And so finally, put it into practice. Put what you read into practice. So often the best way for us to learn is actually to just be very hands-on, be very practical. You know, if you want to learn to bake a cake, at some point you have to get into the kitchen and you have to break some eggs. You can read all the cookbooks, you can watch endless videos on Pinterest and Instagram, but until you try to bake a cake, you will not know if you have the skill to bake a cake, okay? And it's the same with God's word. When he speaks to us, just commit to put it into practice. You're not gonna get it right the first time. We're all a work in progress, but let's commit to being those who respond. And I don't know what God's been saying to you or is going to say to you, but this week, just be open Tonight, be open. God, what is it that you want to say to me? Maybe you're one of those people who's been delaying baptism. And tonight, God's been saying, get baptized. Put, put it into practice. Do it. I know Sarah said, we've got towels. We've got extra clothes. Tonight, you can be baptized. There it is. There's the pool. So if that's delaying you, oh, if only I bought some clothes and a towel, we've got that for you. Okay. Come and chat to us afterwards. Maybe you're going to read something that inspires you to be more patient or more loving. I, I don't know what God's going to say to you. Maybe he's going to ask you to share your faith with someone or to tell someone about Jesus. Maybe he's going to stir a heart of compassion in you. Maybe he's going to stir that servant heart. You heard about that holiday club and you're like, ah, but God's doing something in your heart going, now I want you to go serve. I want you to go be part of that team. You can ignore it, but don't. Respond. Allow the word of God to speak to you. And as we obey God's word, so we get transformed. And so next week, we're gonna look at some of the ways that we get transformed in our words, our deeds, our behaviors, as we walk out in obedience. So these are the five things we've covered today. We did a little bit of an introduction. We looked at the big idea to be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. We've looked at the value of God's word amidst all the content that is out there, the word of God being incredibly valuable to us, the wrong way and the right way that we can respond to that word, and then we've landed in these six practical tips. So what we want to do now is we actually want to put into practice what we've heard. So often we rush off from moments like this, and we're just going to create a gap to sit and to reflect just ask God to, if he wants to say something to you, make yourself available to that. There's going to be a music video playing. You're welcome to look at the words on the screen or just close your eyes and allow God to speak to you. We just want to take a moment to pause and reflect. So I'm going to pray for us and then that's what we're going to do. God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks and you've spoken your word it's recorded for us. We have access to this incredible wisdom textbook. And tonight, we, we want to be those who are open to that word and who respond to that word, who don't just hear it and then walk away and forget what it said. We want to be those whose lives are changed because of what we hear. And so we invite you, even now, as we just create a moment to, to pause, won't you speak to us? Spirit, won't you come? Won't you coach us and reveal to us and teach us even in this moment? We want to hear from you tonight, Lord. Amen. Let's take a moment. Yeah.
coming to that text again and taking our marching orders as we go from this place. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. God, as we go from this place tonight, we ask that you would cause us to be those who keep the, these helpful images that Lou has spoken about, pictures of the mirror. Uh, God, won't you be you know, just so present to us to help us navigate all these complexities, Lord. And may we be those who open our hearts more regularly and more fully to the fullness of the truth of your word which is a, a light and a lamp to our lives, to our path, to our footsteps, God. And we, we want to walk in your way because we know that it leads to freedom and fullness of life. And so, God, we ask that we would be those who don't give in to these lesser things, but experience your spirit leading us on into the fullness of your truth, the fullness of your work and ways. We pray this all in your beautiful name tonight. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lou, for serving us so well tonight.